0: Welcome to, to Grand Rounds. Uh, this is truly our most special uh, Grand Rounds of the year. And as you know, we, we dedicated uh, every year, the, the first or second uh, Grand Rounds in December, we, we dedicate to, uh, to the children and the teachers who lost their lives in that tragic day uh, at Sandy Hook. And um, this, will, this is something that we will continue to do as a reminder uh, of, of what happened there. And of the things that we need to keep doing. And uh, we try to uh, invite someone who will remind us of what happened uh, at Sandy Hook. And also the efforts that are currently being done to prevent a similar tragedy from ever happening again. And today we have two uh, outstanding, outstanding speakers and, and, and who, who were touched by this tragedy in a very direct way. Uh, and I'll introduce them and then you're going to hear both of them. Uh, uh, speak and uh, Nicole uh, who's right over here she's the managing director of the Sandy Hook Promise Um, and uh, after the tragic death of of her son Dylan who was one of the 20 first graders killed at Sandy Hook Elementary School she has dedicated her, her life in working for change so that other families might be spared the pain of losing a loved one to gun violence that commitment led her to Sandy Hook Promise where she leads and manages the organization with Mark Barton, father of Daniel, who was killed on, on that tragic tragedy. <coughs> Nicole oversees the strategic direction and communications of Sandy Hook Promise. She's an eloquent writer and speaker who has become a national voice and advocate for the need to turn Newtown's strategy into a transformation. She's focused on enabling social change, bringing people together in honest dialogue and searching for innovative solutions in the areas of mental health and wellness, as well as gun safety. Nicole, you probably have seen her on television, uh, it has taken her from introducing President Obama at a major rally in Connecticut to meetings with over half the United States Senate media interviews on every major network, TED talks, and a major panel talks and speaking engagement before a variety of civic groups, religious groups, high schools, and college audiences. She's a native of Rhode Island. Uh, She has an extensive background in strategic results, focused marketing and communications for companies in the US and the UK, where she lived for 18 years before returning to the US in 2011. Prior to joining Sandy Hook Promise, she spent two years as a full-time mom getting her family settled in their new home in Sandy Hook and helping Dylan, who had autism, to successfully integrate into his new school and classroom. Until December 14th, a tragic day, Nicole and her family lived in a house across the street from the, from the shooters. While the Hockleys have since moved, Nicole and her husband chose to remain in Newtown with her older son who was at Sandy Hook Elementary on the day of the shooting. In addition to her work with Sandy Hook, Nicole and her family have created a foundation called Dylan's Wings of Change to honor Dylan and help children with autism and other related conditions to achieve their full potential. Please give her a round of applause. Thank And then we also have Tim, Tim Mackers, Managing Director, Uh, he's the co-founder of Sandy Hook Promise. Uh, Tim initially took a temporary leave from his position as a senior marketing executive to start Sandy Hook Promise. He joined Sandy Hook Promise permanently to lead the organization and help realize its vision to turn tragedy into transformation, what this is all about. Tim's 20 year experience in consumer marketing and general management gives him a true perspective that is uniquely helpful to Sandy Hook Promise's efforts to enlist Americans from all walks of life to support the organization and its mission. Tim was a senior executive at Procter & Gamble where he held multiple roles leading marketing and product development efforts for brands including Gillette and many others. Most recently he had, he was the head of the product development of Thule Inc., a premier outdoor sports equipment manufacturer. Now he's best known for innovating in his approach to problem solving. In his career he has over 50 utility and design patents, developed strategy and positioning behind billion-dollar super brands. Truly remarkable individual, but what's really important, what he has done with Sandy Hook Promise. Now he's a native of New Hampshire, a graduate of the University of Michigan. He lives in Sandy Hook, Connecticut with his wife, Melissa, and their two children, both of whom attended Sandy Hook Elementary School. His son, Philip, who was in the fourth grade the day of the shooting, and like many of his fellow students, continues to work through the events of the day. So. Uh, it is really, we have two remarkable individuals who really suffer this very directly, and, and they're gonna share uh, the, the hist- what's going on with Sandy Hook Promise and, and the things that they're doing. Um, I, I do want to, uh, if you both can come up here, and if you give Tim a round of applause too. And we want to, uh, Connecticut Children's and the Department of Pediatrics wants to help Sandy Hook Promise and uh, for your participation here today. We're, I'm going to give you a, a donation for Sandy Hook Promise on behalf of the thank Department you. of People's
1: Um Good morning, everyone. And, and thank you so much for having us here today. We truly appreciate your time. Um, in terms of um, who we are, thank you so much for the, the introductions. Personally, I always love to come to Hartford anyway, because I was here for four years. I went to Trinity uh, just around the corner. Um, and had a magnificent four years there before I then moved to England um, and and moved back to Newtown in 2011 uh, and then uh, lost my son Dylan in 2012. Um, What you're going to hear about today is is a bit of an educational um, journey that we've been through in terms of launching Sandy Hook Promise and deciding what we wanted to be and how we wanted to help stem this issue of gun violence in our country and the measures that we've taken where we didn't want to duplicate other activities already in place um, but we really wanted to focus on the gaps and teach people new lessons. We're going to take you through that journey with us and teach you the lessons that we learned along the way but primarily we're going to um, be focusing on the signs and signals that through, through our academic research as well as expert input um, have talked about who is at risk of Potentially hurting themselves or other people and how can you recognize those signs and then take action and intervene before they continue down um, a destructive uh, Pathway behavior, so um, we're going to cover that today But just first and foremost just in case anyone hasn't seen it we launched a new PSA on Friday that I'm going to share with you um, it's, it's completely overwhelmed us. Uh, we can't get our hands around it, but it's had at least 50 million views so far since Friday. Um, and it's about, it very much encapsulates what we do and our approach to this issue. Um, so I think it's a good way to introduce the, the who we are, what we do section. So, so I think, um, I hope, Rather, that that clearly illustrates we're focused very much on prevention. What can we do in the days, weeks, months, or even years before someone picks up a weapon intent on hurting themselves or hurting someone else? Uh, and we're very clear in our material that one single sign, unless it's a very overt sign, one single sign is not enough to say that someone is going to hurt someone or, or, or self-harm. Um, Just because someone is posting on Instagram a photo of themselves with a gun does not mean they're going to be a shooter. However, when you look at progressive signs, uh, an accumulation of signs, this is someone who needs help. And this is what we need to be trained um, as everyday people. Yourselves, as doctors, you you have a different level of training and what you can offer to this. But your everyday person, these signs are right in front of us And we don't always know what it is we're seeing or how to act when we see them. So that's our mission, is to train people. Um, Because we know that most mass shootings are preventable. Most suicides are preventable. Certainly, my son's death was preventable. But no one was able to connect the dots of all the signs and signals that he gave off um, throughout his life in order to make an intervention. And um, we're going to take that lesson and share that outwards. So who are we? Um, we are a national gun violence prevention organization uh, founded by some of the families who lost their, loves one, their loved ones at Sandy Hook. Uh, I need to be very clear, we, we do not represent Newtown. Uh, we do not represent all the 26 families. Um, you know, I represent my own family and, and I represent Sandy Hook Promise. Um, but we are uh, a gun violence prevention organization and we put GUN in parentheses because our nexus is death and harm by firearm, without a doubt. But as you'll see, what we are teaching others isn't just about gun violence prevention, it's about any form of violence or at-risk behavior. And some of the impacts that we've had, we've certainly stopped some suicides, we've had issues of um, self-harm such as cutting that has been reduced as a result of this training and certainly bullying. So there's a wide spectrum of at-risk behaviors that we're covering, although our particular focus is about harm caused by firearms or people carrying firearms. So what we do, we prevent gun violence before it happens. We focus on that time before someone reaches the point of escalating their plan to reality, um, and we teach people how to recognize these signs and signals and then how to get help. The how we do it We talk to young people and adults in order to raise awareness of the idea of gun violence as being preventable, and and later on we'll talk to you about the awareness that gun violence currently has and the gap that we're filling, and we help bring our prevention programs out to communities. We do all of that for free. Um, We don't charge for our programs uh, to any school or community organization because we simply don't want money to be a barrier to saving a life. So thank you again for your donation, because that is going to help um, significantly in reaching other people and training uh, some kids. And we educate and empower people um, across the country, all 50 states, in how to know the signs and prevent violence where they live. I think the why we do it is is fairly self-evident. We have experienced um, a horrible tragedy, and we're still dealing with that loss every day. For us, this is a way of of giving back and of helping people and other families not have to go through this sort of loss. Um, Our whole reason for being now is to save the lives of others. Nothing gets in the way of doing that, Um, and it's it's a very motivating why. Uh, Tim's going to talk you through a little bit of background, some of the educational journey we went through to decide who we wanted to be when we grew up um and and then i'll come back and talk a little bit more about the programs good morning everyone Uh, again my name is tim makris
2: what i wanted to do was just provide you with a little background of what is this thing called gun violence and what is it about because as nicole said when we started the organization we didn't necessarily know the direction that we were going and um as i hope you'll hear today Um, We're very egoless, we have a theme of listen and learn as an organization um, and we feel before you can go forward and try to create change, you better educate yourself as well as you possibly can and then move forward. So we spent about 8 to 12 months um, out there uh, just after June of 2013 um, and just met with some of the country's best um, in and around this issue. Uh, to learn what is it and what is it about. So just to give you an indication, um, in our country, on average, uh, for well over the last 10, 15, 20 years, there's a half a million acts of gun violence that take place each year. Uh, Prior to 1994, um, it was actually uh, much higher than that. It was up in the millions. um, So the number did come down, but it stayed pretty flat um, at around a half million. <clears throat> and you can see from going around um, in terms of the number of folks who are shot, people that are witnessed and all the trauma that comes with that, um, and the impact on families and communities, the lives that are lost, the number of children, um, frankly, that die each and every day um, from gun violence. When we saw those stats early on, we were pretty ashamed. Um, you know, we were, and, and like you, and it's okay to say that for, for those um, who are sitting in our shoes, we saw that it was going on, we saw in, in Hartford New Britain and et cetera, around our state and around our country, and you would acknowledge it and feel it, but you would kind of turn and go back to what we were doing. Um, and uh, when we saw that, we said, wow, we just we're immune to this. We're a country that's kind of accepted this. Um, and for us that was just, that was just, we had to find out, um, why that was so. So as I said, we went and we launched a whole bunch of research, um, to really understand this better. And here are just some of the key findings. There are many that came out of this, but, um, what we learned the most as it pertains to why we're doing what we're doing. So, um, first, people aren't engaged in this issue, um, uh, because they feel hopeless and helpless. They don't know what to do. I mean, we've traveled everywhere to the deepest of red areas in our country, where everybody's carrying around a gun, to the bluest of blue, (coughs) where you know people reject them and don't even want them, you know, in their in their town. Um, But when you ask them, well, what can you do? They're like, it's hopeless. It's helpless. I don't know. No one's going to do anything. What can I, as an individual, do to make a difference? So we really took that um, away to say, wow, there's, there's something there we can do. We dug down a little bit in that area with folks and said, well, what do you think about this issue of gun violence? And they talked a lot about rejection of, well, it's all about giving people more guns or taking them away. And then we also heard at the same time, which brings to the, the second point, that why aren't we focusing on the human behind the gun? Why is it always about the gun? And we said, well, that's interesting. And we found out, really, across the US, most people say, why aren't we doing more in that space? And when you looked to what was going on in the, in the movement uh, for the last 30 years, it, it's been all about the guns. We're like, well, there's, there's an insight. Um, we found out that most of the work in this space has been all about policy. And everybody thinking that, wow, to create change and to stop gun violence, you've got to have policy. Well, here's what we did. We actually went from uh, marriage equality all the way back to civil rights and we studied every major social movement in between. And we said, tell us, we work with some folks outside, we said, tell us the best practices that allowed those movements to be successful. And what we found out is there, there are about six key drivers. So in order to create change, you have to have education, you have to have programs that help change attitudes and behaviors, a great example of that is designated driver. How many here use designated driver? There's no law called designated driver. We just help change the attitudes of how people look at drunk driving. You have to have grassroots. It's gotta change at a community level. It cannot be top-down. There's no successful social change that's ever happened because the government passed a law. You do need to have policy, but policy reinforces the attitudes and behaviors that were just created. And you have to have political change. So, get the right people in office to create those policies. So, that's important. And then finally, legal. So, we saw with marriage equality how they leveraged very well um, the courts to try to get their points across. So, those are the six areas. Now, when you looked at this movement in gun violence prevention, it's been all about policy. And since 2014, politics. Those are the only two areas. So, when people are like, well, why hasn't there been any change? You're like, well, because we're only attacking two of the areas that create social change, and those two areas typically come at the end and not at the beginning. So that gave us another insight of, okay, we have to do something different. And then finally, we found out about this, wow, schools are truly you know, a breeding ground. They're a touch point, is what we call them, of observing behaviors that later in life can turn into, at its extreme, into violence and gun violence. So how do we, based on all the research that I'm sure many of you know about, how do we take advantage of those moments to be able to identify and intervene without stigmatizing? So just using observed behaviors to intervene and help um, these kids. And that's where these signs and signals come into play. So speaking of these warning signs, we found out on the prevention side as we looked across the U.S., that there weren't any programs in place. There weren't any of those designated driver-type programs in place. Yet, when you looked at the data, you were like, wow, these signs and signals are coming off. So we could truly sit here for the next 20 minutes, uh, if not longer, and give you example after example after example of cases where there were signs and signals ahead of shootings and suicides that came out after the fact but no one said something. Last Friday, we launched our program that morning, Salt Lake City, kid went into a school, took a shot into the ceiling, parents had called in, thankfully were able to get to this. They saw signs and signals before, they didn't act upon it. So after the fact, they're like, wow, we've been seeing some really odd behavior, we woke up and the guns were gone out of our house. It happens all the time, folks. So it's like, how do we get ahead of that? So to back it up even more, mass shootings are usually planned for six months or more. Um, Sandy Hook Shooter was for a year. Over a year, he planned that shooting. Threats, this this data is two years old. So I'll tell you right now, it's much higher than this. We haven't seen a later, a later report. 37% of threats of school violence were sent electronically. 28% of those use social media. Again, we have tons of photos of Facebook and Snapchat, all of those where all these threats have been put in that we save and we go out and we um, teach kids and show them where these signs are. Seventy percent of people who commit suicide, right, signs and signals were given off um, ahead of time. So what can we do to train people on those? Pass back to you.
1: Um, So that's the, 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 the lessons that we learned and then how do we turn that into actual educational programming? Um, well, in terms of the attract and engage, the way we talk is very different. We focus on protecting your child. We don't, we don't talk a lot about the gun itself. We very much believe in appropriate access and the person behind the gun, ensuring that they have the correct um, mental health and wellness care that they need. Um, but we don't, because of the areas that we talk in, we don't want to just focus on the weapon. So we do talk about protecting your children, that common platform that we can all base a conversation on. We also acknowledge and validate that hopelessness and helplessness that Tim talked about by giving people tools that they can use today to protect their community. Um, It's very important to continue to fight for policy change, uh, and we support that, but people need more tools than just being able to call their congressman or their senator and ask for a vote on a piece of legislation. People want things that they can do here and now, and that's what we aim to give them. Uh, we definitely want to educate people that gun violence is preventable when you know the signs this is a new way of thinking it's starting a brand new conversation in our country which we find very exciting because this is the way that you engage people in this issue by talking to them and, and educating them in a way that they' had never considered a problem uh, before and we're building and engaging a base we have Gosh, by the end of this month, we'll have a million uh, supporters. I think we're at about 980,000, 985,000 supporters at the moment who have made the promise to protect children, uh, and about 2,000 super leaders, uh, promise leaders our super volunteers around the country who help bring these programs in, and you'll hear more about that impact later. But this is about an educated base, and this isn't just about a base that's on either side of the issue. This is about that base that's in the center, that don't want to be involved in a polarized fight, but want to do something to keep their families and their communities safe. That's our sweet spot. That's who we talk to. So in terms, this is a, a, on a big screen, it's a little easier to read. Um, The campaign that we just launched on Friday, once people watch it, uh, we are urging people to go to our website, download the free guide, and then bring the free training to their communities. This is um, an excerpt from one of the pages in the guide where we talk about the additional warning signs and signals. Because there are seven warning signs and signals that are in the video that I showed you earlier. Um, And we go through them in detail in the guide and what they are and what they mean. But these are some of the additional buckets out there. Um, That being over-aggressive and lacking self-control, that that lack of self-regulation, an an overreaction to a seemingly minor incident, Um, someone who is regularly using intimidating or bullying behaviors. That's a warning sign. Chronic social isolation can be a sign as well. We're not talking about someone who just wants some alone time, because heck, we all need that sometimes, or someone who's just occasionally sitting by themselves or withdrawn. We're talking about chronic marginalization, chronic rejection, chronic social isolation that can lead to further withdrawal. Um, Threatening behavior, certainly overt threats um, need to be taken seriously and dealt with immediately, but posting something, saying something, um, recruiting a friend, telling people to stay away from school or an activity, bringing a weapon to school, these are all very obvious signs that someone needs help. Mental illness and or behavioral shifts. We don't talk a lot about mental illness except in the area of suicide prevention. Um, We make it very clear that the vast majority of people with a mental illness will never go on to commit an act of violence. They're much more likely to be the victim of violence rather than the perpetrator. We talk about a lack of mental wellness. So these are people that lack anger management skills, conflict resolution skills, those social skills that help us to deal with conflict in an appropriate way rather than reaching for a weapon. Um, So, a lot of these behavioral shifts, a lot of them talk there about um, suicide such as giving away possessions in advance, Um, adverse childhood experiences and early trauma can obviously lead to pathway if they're not intervened and acted on, Um, undiagnosed mental illnesses, any major behavioral changes, that's what we're really talking about there. And antisocial behavior, negative peer influences. Gang violence uh, is an element of this as well. Making those poor choices without intervention and appropriate um, action. Lacking of discipline, you know, that, that inability to follow the rules, that feeling that you are more important, that sort of narcissistic ego that comes out where you feel you are the center. That, that can be a warning sign as well. So what do we do with all these signs and how do we teach people? We have four programs that we go out around the country and teach people for free. Um, as I said at no cost two of these programs are for adults and two of these programs are for children uh, And I'm just going to take you through briefly each of them um, that one of the Programs for students is called start with hello Now our sweet spot in terms of where we train children are in grades uh, six and above so that kind of middle and high school years met with uh, so many um, educators around the country, and the comment that still rings in my head to this day is um, the, the person who told me that middle school is the vortex of all evil. And that was, that was when these changes are, and it, seriously, that has just stuck with me every day, that that's when, if we're not in there by now, teaching these kids and helping these kids, that's where the, the pathway can start for many as they're going through those changes in their lifetime start with hello, however, we go down to grades two and above. So we have an elementary school version and then the middle and high school version. And this is all about teaching kids to be more inclusive and connected to each other. Now you might say, what on earth does that have to do with gun violence? Well, in our training material, very, very little. We don't go into a second grade class and talk about, you need to go talk to Bobby who's sitting by himself because otherwise he's going to bring a gun to school. That is so not the message that we convey. That would be we're not that sort of organization. Um, but what we do is teach people that you know this is how you bring people in. This is how you keep connections. This is also about how you reduce bullying. But we know, long term, this can have a massive effect on someone who could end up further withdrawing, could end up um, going down towards an act of violence or self-harm. So the outcome and benefits of Start With Hello, it changes the culture from within. And that's that's what we're trying to do. It's very peer-led. The students that we train love this. We have examples where students who are trained then go out and train other students. Um, they become the ambassadors and the peers. Um, we have a video, and I, I can't remember if it's the video that we have in this presentation or not, where one of our, um, one of our trained students was like, you know, we now, we now sit there and we're like, no, no, it's my turn to go and, and reach out. Now it's my turn to go and help that person. So it's, it's very, the students get excited about it. And we've had nothing but positive feedback about it. And it creates some fantastic relationships between the educators and the students as well. But it's very peer led. Um, The second student program is Say Something, and this is definitely for uh, middle school and high schoolers. It teaches students how to recognize these at-risk behaviors in each other, these observable signs, but particularly with a focus on social media um, because we have found it just so frustrating to know that um, someone will be posting about their angst or their depression or their plans and that other kids are seeing these things, but not taking them seriously, and so educating children that they're seeing they're seeing signs that the adults in their lives are not. That's a very empowering message to students to say that you have the power to make a difference. And like Tim said, you know, we could give you countless examples. Uh, the one that springs to mind is at the end of uh, twenty. I believe it was, maybe 2015, apologies, up in um, near Seattle, Washington, shooter who went to his high school and killed some of his friends and family members in the school cafeteria uh, before himself dying. And um, he had been tweeting for weeks in advance, even that morning, tweeting, you know, got the gun, today's the day. Got a lot of retweets, no action. That's what we want to stop. That's what we want to teach kids and make them aware of. When you see these things, you have to take it seriously. Now we hear a lot from kids saying, well, if they said that they were going to do it, then that's not real, right? Of course, they would never do something if they're saying it on social media. Sadly, that's completely the reverse. That's one of the leading indicators of someone who's actually planning to go out and and carry on with their act. And when you think about suicide as well, we, we were we did a story not too long ago about not too long ago about a, a woman a young woman named jadeen in texas who again everything was out there on social media everything was on her tumblr everything was on her instagram including her picture of herself holding the gun retweets likes reposts she committed suicide these are preventable acts and we need to teach our kids how to recognize these signs and take action um, in January we're also starting to pilot an anonymous reporting system uh, which we will then scale nationally there's a lot of um, reporting systems out there at the moment most of them are for profit we're a non-profit so we'll be providing it for free um, but one of the secondary uh, barriers that gets in the way of kids saying something when they see something is because they're afraid of being labeled as a snitch so a lot of our education focuses on When you are telling on someone to get them in trouble, that's being a snitch. But when you are saying something in order to get someone help, that's being an upstander, and that's the appropriate behavior. But we know that, especially in some areas, speaking up and being identified as someone who speaks up can be dangerous to that individual. And that can be a barrier. So we are launching the anonymous reporting system so that a, a kid or an adult can take a picture. Uh, do a text message go online however we're going down multiple distribution channels get to a call center that can evaluate that send it straight back to the local law enforcement or the school in order to get that person help um, so we have great hopes for that we know it works in other states and we just want to help scale it so the outcome and benefits of say something education first and foremost are all always our first objective is to educate people fosters that upstander culture rather than the bystander culture, and will reduce violence, suicide, bullying, and get more kids help. The two adult programs, um, safety assessment and intervention, this is an evidence-based program that comes out of the University of Virginia. It's been, in, um, it's been there for a long period of time. It's in a number of schools already, and it's state-mandated in Virginia. And we hope to scale this nationally, well, we will be scaling this nationally, and then working to mandate it in other states as well. This is training for schools and youth organizations in how to identify and assess threats. So we train a multidisciplinary team within a school, uh, such as the principal or the, the counselor and the SRO, if there's one present, usually a team of about four people, and how to assess every single threat, deal with the imminent ones, but then more importantly, How to deal with the transient ones how do you deal with um, with something that isn't an overt threat but you're trying to figure out what's going on in that kid's life that's causing them to act out in this way and how can we intervene before it escalates Um, so safety assessment and intervention and getting to the root cause of the issue is uh is truly a magnificent program Uh, creates many more uh, safe open environments in schools definitely reduces violence bullying and threats decreases a lot of um, adult fear and anxiety within the school system. It's also seen benefits of up to a 50% reduction in long and short-term suspension, so keeping kids in school and helping them rather than pushing them out, which can exacerbate the problem, and getting a much more positive view of teachers and staff. The final program that we provide for free is Youth Mental Health First Aid, which is an evidence-based program out from the National Council for Behavioral Health. Again, teaching adults what are the signs of someone who could be going into mental health crisis, in particular, suicide prevention for our Nexus, and how do you get them help? Um, again, a remarkable program that's already helped so many people across the country, and we're just helping to increase that. It does reduce stigmas, it educates on mental illness, better understand the signs and signals. It is not a diagnostic tool. And I want to make it clear that all of our programs are not teaching people how to diagnose. That's not our job. And that's not the adult's job, and that's not the kid's job. But it's saying, if you're observing this, this is now a tool to say, you know, I've got some training in this. I know what I'm seeing. And then take it to a professional. Take it to a mental health professional. Take it to your doctor. Take it to local law enforcement. Take it to someone who can actively deal with that problem. So while we're helping to prevent gun violence, I hope you can see we are trying to help the wellness of everyone. So rather than just that 6 to 8% that might become violent, we really want to help all the other kids and adults who may never become violent, but could go down in a pathway that includes chronic health issues, or addictions, or other abuses. Um, again, these are all tied together as at-risk behaviors. Our nexus is gun violence, but our, our impact is all violence. Um, just to help wake you up a little bit. Uh, One more video um, before we then talk about how we deliver these and how you can help us.
2: Sandy Hook Promise is reaching out across the country, engaging and empowering youth nationwide to take the lead and help prevent gun violence in their schools and communities. Their stories are creating real change and saving lives. Rexburg, Idaho, students got their school district and the entire
1: community involved with Start With Hello. Everybody was coming coming together. No matter where you went, if you went to Rollins, they were handing out stickers. Our, our grocery store right here. Or if, even mm-hmm. if you went out to Walmart, there were posters hanging up. And then everywhere in between,
0: there was 30 or 40 signs that said, Hello from or we support Start With Hello. Um, if you see someone um, that needs help or is alone, and it's kind of hard at first, I think as humans, sometimes we wonder, what can I do? They might not want me to go talk to them. But just going up and starting a flow of saying I can mean the whole world of difference for that person.
2: Over at the other side of the room, you don't see them because you're with your friends. So it was really nice to branch out and get to know people more and making sure
0: that no one is eating alone. And visited elementary schools for all the schools in our district. And it was so much fun to go and see those, those little kids. So when you go up and give them a big hug, and you just embrace them, you see them smile, it just makes their whole day. I don't think there's any better feeling in the world when we're helping other people. In Danbury, Connecticut,
2: Broadview Middle School launched one of the most successful Start With Hello programs in the country. For example, if you're going to a new school, like Broadview, you know, you should start with Hello, and it'll help you feel more included and welcome. It's basically like if you see somebody sitting alone at lunch or anything, you want to go up to them, say hi, hi and make them, make
1: them feel welcome. I've been sitting at my lunch table, and I'll see someone sitting alone, and I'll get up to go say hi, to, say hi to them, and then my friend will tell me stop. It's my turn. <laughs> it's a great message, and you want to be part of that message. So pretty much you're helping, making the world better.
2: when I'm on lunch duty, um, before the program, I would see students sitting by themselves. And after the program, I I never saw that. I do not see, and I keep my eye open for it. And I don't see anyone having lunch by themselves.
0: These programs uh, say something or starts with a low, are really about breaking down barriers and borders amongst kids.
2: So this is a wonderful program. I have to say that the kids here have embraced this like I've never
1: seen a program embraced. So we have noticed that just being a part of the program and sharing it, it has reduced the number of bullying incidents almost to zero.
0: Uh, dozens of phone calls either in my office or in our police department or through our support system here at the schools saying that somebody may be having a problem and maybe we ought to talk to them. Uh, there have been very serious situations we've been that you see never really good outcomes. So it's made a difference already, and frankly it saved lives.
1: You are changing the world. You're changing your school, you're changing your community. say i know a lot of you work with kids and for me this is um sorry it always gets me every time because this is this is you know why we do it and and going out and training the kids and working with the kids and feeling the energy from them and seeing what they do and how they reach out to each other and when they come up for hugs afterwards or where they come to share their personal stories sometimes which are very tragic um and i have you know walked kids directly over from a presentation straight to their school counselor. um, It it brings it home in a very real way. Um, And I just wanted to pick up on one of the points in there where the assistant principal was talking about, you know, post-program implementation. This was several months afterwards that um, their bullying had been reduced to almost zero. Now, two of those programs I mentioned are evidence-based programs and have ongoing research around them. Our two student-based programs we created so they are research informed but not yet evidence-based however getting anecdotal feedback and qualitative feedback is brilliant and that helps shape and iterate our programs but we are embarking on quantitative and longitudinal research so starting in this new year we're doing a pilot uh, with with some some randomized control testing in, in an area with some schools to test out the impact of the programs and then that'll branch into a longer study so we are very focused on impact and results we're, we're we're not here to spin our wheels if it's not working if it's not creating an impact we won't do it um, so that research is incredibly important to us um, going forward in terms of I'm almost done here and then we'll go to questions in terms of how we deliver I've said it a few times we deliver everything at no cost we have uh, around 50 contract trainers across the country at the moment who help deliver the programs for us Um, or schools can download and self-lead. So two of the programs, two of the student-based programs are available as digital downloads, full curriculum, full presentations, so that schools can deliver it themselves. In terms of sustainability, again, we don't want to be a one and done. You don't change a culture by having a 40-minute assembly and then walking away. Uh, What you do is constant check-ins, constant um, ensuring that the program is still living. So we have our program managers who continue to work with the schools after they implement the program. We embed the programs in youth clubs. This came around organically through examples of other schools in their, their sad clubs, Students Against Destructive Decisions, or Boys and Girl Club, or a student leadership club. They really take it and live it. We also have call to action weeks to try to galvanize people together to take action. And we have um, material available, uh, and we're still translating everything into Spanish as well, and then hopefully other languages to ensure, again, that there's no barriers to uh, receiving the programs. In terms of our impact and momentum, um, we're still doing the audit from our last call to action week in October around Say Something, in which um, over 1,000 schools, 1,300 schools registered to participate. So we're still reaching out to all those schools, because the figures that we give out, we only give out those once they're audited. Uh, We would never just say you know, 1,300 schools participated, registered, no. We want to know who actually implemented. We've trained around a million and a half youth and adults within the last two years in around 1,300 schools across the country. Uh, We have our base and our promise leaders that I spoke about earlier. I think think we're still missing North Dakota, which is um, a pain, so if anyone has anyone in North Dakota um, who wants to be a promise leader, please let me know. Um, We work through alliances and partnerships, and I very much hope that we can work in partnership with you going forward. Uh, We're still a relatively small organization. We can't do this all on our own. We do this through others. Um, And it's a very collaborative approach. We have prevented a school shooting in in Cincinnati that we know of. We have prevented multiple suicides and gun threats threats, and helped a lot of people get the mental health assistance that we need. But like I said, we are working on quantifying um, the impact in, in a much more robust way. We are in a lot of school districts already, but we are um, currently in Miami-Dade Public School District, the fourth largest school district in the country, and are entering a partnership with Los Angeles Unified, the second largest um, in the country, and that's taking up uh, a lot of our resources uh, to ensure that the training is available to all those students. we also work again through others discovery education digital platform in about 50 percent of all public schools they have our programs on there and we're looking at other methods of um, distributing our programs freely and easily to everyone as well so how you can help well if you haven't made the promise please go to our website and make the promise Um, many of you are going to be parents or aunts or uncles or grandparents Help bring the programs to your school or your youth organization we will go wherever we need to go in order to help Um, but in terms of your specific community here the medical and health community this is critical when you think about gun violence as a public health issue and the preventative measures that can be taken so we really would love your help and if there's a few volunteers out there who would like to share their contact details with myself or Tim or reach out at any time um, we want to develop material specifically for your community. Um, but I am not a medical professional. I can, I can communicate, and, and I'm a marketer, plain and simple, and so is Tim. So we can take words and make it consumer friendly, but we need your help in how do we communicate this across the rest of the medical community. So please help us with that. And that's it. So thank you for your time. And if anyone has any questions, we'd love to hear them.